Welcome, everyone, to another great night of the Four Guys Roundtable Show with my cohorts, Dr. Pat, Coach Jeremy, AJ Nitro, and moi. I don't have a name tonight, just moi. There we go. So uh, tonight, we will be talking about two specific pay-per-views from 1996, the year I graduated high school. You know, damn depressing that sounds right about now. <laughs> yes, yes it does. But um, that was a long time ago. Uh, it was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy, in 1996, the top movie is Independence Day. Jeremy, what didn't when when did you graduate? 96. Yeah, I was gonna say Jeremy also that year. So so depressing. Yes. But anyway, I I, 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 I was a freshman slash sophomore. Oh, you youngins. <laughs> you could go eat a big fat one. My older sister graduated high school in 96. Mm. I feel her pain. Okay. Other than that. Um, <laughs> so, as I was saying, uh, we're comparing two pay-per-views from 1996, King of the Ring and Bash at the Beach. But until then, hello to everyone out in podcast world. How are we doing tonight? Well, I'm doing wonderful. We're here. It's 2020, so, you know, everything sucks. <laughs> well, I can feel the enthusiasm in the air tonight. That's wonderful. I'm so. enjoying it. Especially like our it. college especially our college football team this year, Joe. They suck. Uh, who would that be? I don't, I don't know. I don't know who that is anymore. College football? football? What, what's college football? I remember I they have colors that are like dark red maroon, but... For the life of me, I can't remember the name of that college football team is right now. <laughs> hey, one of, one, of, one of my college football teams didn't play today because... The COVID! COVID. <laughs> the whole team came down with it? Holy shit. Um, something like seven people. So Fantastic. Out of, out of an abundance of caution or whatever terminology you want to give it, they postponed the game. I think they're going to play it in like December. It's like, ah, whatever. Yeah. They're going to be playing I, I, lots of college football in December this year. Well, yes. It will be. That's not, and that's not just because of the way the Big Ten and Pac-12 are going to be doing their fucking schedules now. But I kind of suspect, you know, this isn't going to be the only COVID outbreak you're going to see. So, No, probably it's not. Gonna, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be – it's just going to be a cluster. And I think they – I honestly think they need to be a little flexible with saying, hmm, we may have to push the playoff and bowl schedule back a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. It'll be interesting. Uh, my Saturday, since uh, we always uh, do these on a Saturday, um, I was fixing a sink today. Yes, that was a lot of fun. Considering How wet I, did you get? Uh, I didn't get. I, I know better than to uh, to to have things running when I'm doing the sink, but it's just it was a pain because there's a nut that connects to the bottom of. Yes, there's a Jer nut. Jeremy is the king of the nuts. <laughs> yes. So there is a nut. I'll leave it alone. I'll leave it alone tonight. <laughs> so leave it be. What happens is people love to use plumber's putty on the the nuts that you know and the everything that screws together on plumbing. They love to use plumber putty. That's like the old school thing. Use plumber's putty. It'll keep from, keep it from leaking. You're right. It will, but it also gums up all the threading on all the screw threads. So this thing was frozen shut. So I ended up. <laughs> finding a YouTube video that said, oh, try vinegar on that, and it should dissolve, like, all the minerals and stuff like that. And thank God it did, because I'm telling yeah. you, I had two 
lock wrenches on that son of a bitch and I cannot fucking move it. I'm like going both directions with, you know, one on each on each thing trying to move this thing and it just oh my god, I was like I was so pissed off. But once I got it done, um wasn't so bad cuz I cleaned it all up and all that stuff. But uh then of course there's a like a plastic um I guess you could call it like seal that you put in there. And evidently I put it in upside down because I couldn't get to stop leaking. And then I was like, oh, call my dad. He's like, yeah, try it this way. I was like, so I tried it that way. And now it's not leaking. So thank God that's done. That was a pain in the balls. Like, I, I hate working with plumbing because it's like you always – you put everything back together. You're like, all right, it's ready to go. And you put it on and it's like, it's fucking leaking still. God damn it's, it. <laughs> it's, always, it's always harder to get it done than it seems. Like you think, oh, this is going to be simple. Yeah, yeah probably not. Well, and all my plumbing always seems yeah. to be underneath the sink, so it's like fit your fat ass underneath this counter and try and wiggle through shit. I'm like, oh god. Like I, I give, I, I praise plumbers because they put their bodies in some of the worst positions, and like uh, it's it's a pain in the ass most of the time. So well, that was, you. so that was my like Saturday morning afternoon. <laughs> There you go. Okay, I, I I do just have one question for you though. Yes, sir. Why didn't you answer my original question? I asked you a specific question. And you went into this whole thing about fixing your sink. All I asked was how wet did you get? Uh, I didn't get wet at all. <laughs> I think nope. you're lying to us. Nope. I think I you're lying to yourself. I didn't even get under the sink. I was able to reach it without having to get under the sink. Again, what does the sink have to do with this? <laughs> Jesus. I'm not gonna pertain. I'm not gonna answer I'm or like entertain I'm your question. Children. I'm not gonna entertain your question. I will not entertain it. So, <laughs> so Theo, you were you were disappointed last week because you didn't get to tell us a, a couple of stories. Do you want to throw one of those at us that now? No, that'll take forever. <laughs> they, they are they are not two minute stories. They're not even five minute stories. That you can awesome. tell us one of them. Uh, you know, one one will be twenty minutes. Yes. So we'll we'll save that for for a later day in the future. No we'll worries. Save that for one of our other pornographic uh, podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Open mic night. Let's go. Pat's favorite. Yes. So yeah. Yes, they are Pat. You like them, don't you? Yes. So he's shaking his head. Yes. Right Gives him something to aspire to. Yeah. <laughs> One day. It's what, he wants to be when he, it's what he wants to be when he grows up. Just like us. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Nothing to look forward to in life. So. We're great role be, models. Come on now. It's, it's got to be something. I got to pick something. Yes. Well, evidently a lot of wrestlers not anymore are not good role models because they're all freaking coming out of the woodwork with their all their freaking inappropriateness <laughs> well i mean that's that's nothing new i mean if you go back through the history i'm pretty sure you can find that almost every wrestler was a scumbag in some way shape or form it's just to which degree <laughs> and for what reason um you know so it's just put out there in the front lines for everybody to see now <laughs> yeah. yeah which is fantastic yeah. <laughs> social media 
It's also, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's also just because, like, you're not going to get away with shit. Like, you know, yeah, you could get away with that kind of stuff in the 70s, 80s, 90s, but now with social media, you know, you do something to somebody, that somebody's going to go on social media and say, hey, blah, 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 did this and that to me. So, you know, well, maybe well, don't do that. Just to let you know there, uh, AJ, that is the worst-looking $100 bill I've ever seen. That's fabulous. <laughs> I can't even tell who's on it. Is that the Young Bucks or somebody yep. else? No, that's the box. I was just taking a wild guess because your head's covering out of it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that would be accepted as legal tender at most places, at most uh, business establishments. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to see somebody give one of those big hundred dollar bills like that. Here, here's a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> well, no, they, they, when they. When they come out at the events, they they shoot the money out that looks like that. Mm-hmm. People think they're getting real money, and then they see that it just has the Bucks' faces on them. They go, ah, oh, motherfucker. Oh, I mean, it's... it's probably all that money they've been throwing around on the shows lately, the big stacks. <laughs> yeah, it it's probably, probably it probably is made up <laughs> made, made up of that. <laughs> this is your young Bucks' money. It's worth it. Here, here's Tony Khan. Throw it at you. The whole, I think the whole promotion was at the football game the other night. Well, they probably were. Saw pictures so, of the good old JR and Jericho rocking their Jaguars jerseys or jersey and apparel. They probably get front row seats in the suites just chilling. I'd take yeah. it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't complain. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, Jacksonville got their ass kicked. Still watching football, getting some good stuff. That's that's about normal. Doesn't Jacksonville usually get their ass kicked? I mean, they like <laughs> they threw in the towel already, traded like a bunch of their team away before the season started. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's bad ownership, bad ownership and bad management. Yeah, well, what are you gonna do? We can briefly we can say R.I.P. to Road Warrior Animal. Absolutely. Uh, did he pass yeah. away now? Finally. Yes. Yeah. Finally, he finally. was. Finally, I that was the wrong word. Sorry, <laughs> wrong choice of word. Jeremy was waiting for it. <laughs> I mean, if it's somebody who's had like several near-death oh, experiences, then he could be like, "Oh, he's finally died." Not him, though. He that was yeah. the wrong choice of words. Okay, but I am. Or if it's he, somebody he finally a, died. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or if it's somebody who was a piece of shit, you know, you could say, "Oh, good, he finally died." You know? <laughs> well, who knows? He might have been a piece of shit. We don't know. Nobody knows him personally. Yeah, I've never really heard that about him, so... No, neither have I. But that was just the wrong choice of words. I didn't mean to say finally. I meant to say yeah, oh, he died. not really heard bad things. He's He's been more of a guy you hear good things about, not bad things. So Yeah, now, like, if you were to hear that, like, Jake Roberts passed away, you could say, oh, he finally died because of his, you know, numerous drug issues throughout the years. And if Ric Flair were to die, you could say it about him because he's had some serious health scares recently where he's been like in the hospital. Like I think one time they even said he was damn close to death. So, you know, it's like those guys, you know, if you were to hear that they died, you could be like, Oh, they finally died. You know? And, yeah. and his kid, his kid was a good football player. He didn't pick the right college to attend, but other than that, he was a good football player. So his NFL career seemed a little short when he picked his college football player. <laughs> oh, yeah, did his he, NFL did... career seemed a little short too. Where did he go to college football? Where did he play his college football? Uh, he went to the black hole in the middle of the state, better known as Ohio State. Ah, okay, that Crap makes a lot of sense. I my least favorite. 
There are more than one. There is more than one college football team I don't like. That is my least favorite of all of them, though. We will I clarify that for sure. That yeah. is probably the team I hate the most in all of sports. Is probably that team. Well, you so. mentioned your you mentioned your football team, and I know your college football team that you love is Florida State. So yeah, I was thinking maybe he went to. Um, Miami, Miami, because you hate them because of being a Florida State fan. I, I do. I do. Florida, Ohio, <laughs> the Gators. Ohio State is always going to be the team I probably refer to the most with dislike. Generally, they're the one, especially on this one, because Pat doesn't like them, and Joe doesn't particularly like them, and even you don't particularly care for them. So I, I bring them up because none of you guys really like them. So I'm not going to get any lashback from you guys. Because nobody on here really likes them, so no, definitely I'm not a whole Ohio State fan. Red and crimson, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll always say this about Ohio State, and that is, I don't know how you can cheat so much and still be in title pictures every year without any sanctions that prevent it. Like, I'll never understand it, but that is that's college football. And- well, I mean, the the guy last year, like admitted to taking money and they suspended him for two games. That's it. And he was still in the Heisman running in, in, yeah. in 99 when Peter Warwick got a suit for $40, uh, he got suspended for two games and he was automatically not in the Heisman trophy for something that happened off the field. So yeah. how is that any different from what happened a year ago? I was really upset because they're like, Oh, well, he took money and he admitted it. So we're going to suspend him for two games and still vilify him. Like he didn't do anything wrong. But when Peter Warwick took a suit for an 80% discount that any of the rest of us on this podcast would have also taken that suit for an 80% discount, mm-hmm. he got in trouble and got vilified like he was a criminal. Yeah, so could have been on the clearance rack. <laughs> so I, I that was cool today and they have an 80% clearance rack. <laughs> so, I didn't like well, that when that happened with that guy mm-hmm. from there a year ago. I felt like they were nice to him, and they shouldn't have been nice to him for doing that. No, the sanctions should be the same if you commit the same crime, so to say, or offense, however you want to put it. The yeah. time should be the same, same kind of punishment. Don't change it just because you feel like, oh, well, he did the right thing by admitting it. Who cares? He still did it. Like <laughs> It doesn't matter if you said, I'm sorry or not. Like He still did it. The, the, the sanction is the sanction. I mean, we know they're never going to do like they did to and help me out here because um, I don't know the I can't remember the name of the college, uh, but it was in Texas and they got essentially SMU. Yeah, thank you, SMU. Uh, The death penalty. (laughs) Right, death penalty. Well, see, that that was the whole thing. They gave SMU the death penalty back there in, in the in the late '80s, and it so destroyed the program. And I mean, it really continued. I mean, SMU. When was like like the next time they became competitive? I don't think it was for like another like twenty years or so years, oh, yeah. uh, or maybe even more than that. I don't remember exactly how long. But because they gave SMU the death penalty, and because it was so destructive, which I don't think that they even really had fully anticipated, there was talk that Kentucky basketball was looking at the death penalty uh, back then like a year or two after SMU football got it mm-hmm. but they were already seeing how negative the effects were that somebody said uh, maybe we shouldn't actually do that uh, so and, and they didn't Kentucky basketball didn't get it and um, 
I think the only other time I ever really heard any serious talk of somebody getting the death penalty was to Penn State because yeah. of the Sandusky scandal, which right. it's like Ooh. on one hand, I totally would have understood that, even though I'm a Penn State fan. I mean, I totally would have understood, you know, hey, they the, the program let this shit happen and blah, blah, blah. But again, I think they said that they were, probably would have gotten sued ridiculously by the school and by other people, which they probably would have lost. And I think they said, it, you know, they felt like it probably wasn't worth it. So, well, and here's the thing, like, so I don't think you'll ever see anybody get the death penalty again. No. Like, and I think so egregious. Like, and here's the thing with that. Um, you, what they did is with the death penalty, which was messed up. You can do all the other things, but I think taking away their TV rights was the, was probably the worst part of it because, now nobody even knows that team exists because you can't even see them on TV. They blacked them out for that two-year sanction. And, you know, you could still have, like, if they did the sanction where they said, okay, you're, you're – you, I forget what the total thing is. It had to do with their ability to um, bring in players. Um, I know it had no – they had no bowl games for those two years. Um but you could do all that stuff where they're not allowed to actively recruit anybody. People just have to come to their college. Like they can't recruit anybody and take away their bowl games and that college can still survive. But once you took away the TV rights and they could, they should never do that to a college, but do the other things. Like, I think that's fine. Like if you current commit a, an egregious um, violation of NCAA rules, do that shit. Take that stuff away from people. Just don't take away their TV. Let people see them. But don't allow them to recruit and don't allow them to participate post in seasons. Yeah. Or post so, yeah. scholarships yeah. too. Cut the scholarships. Yeah, scholarships get cut. Like anything that allows them to build their program, cut it. But let them be on TV so people can see, hey, this is what happens when you mess up NC and you violate NCAA rules. Now look at what happens. Then people yeah. maybe people would start to wise up a little bit. I mean, they would still cheat. People are always going to cheat because every college <laughs> yeah. wants to get ahead. But it might prevent it some to say, well, people won't be so outlandish with what they're going to do to get people to cheat. Well, that's just it, too. It's like uh, people – I think people are always going to look for shortcuts. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's life. I mean, life is hard, so people will look for shortcuts to to take and exploit when they can. And I think that, I mean, a, a lot of it is, is ego and arrogance in the sense that they feel like they're trying to cheat in a way that nobody else has ever thought of, you know, or that they're just like, That's oh, cool. I just I, I just won't get caught. I'll, I'll be able to stay one step ahead or mm -hmm. or I'll, I'll be able to like funnel it or or, or I, I'm not sure what the term I'm looking for here is like, you know, like like have like enough like inter intermediaries and like third parties that actually doing everything. Uh, so that it won't ever actually come back to me or something like that. But it's like eventually they seem to they seem to catch up with you. And it's like mm -hmm. if the NC if the NCAA is able to catch up with you, then that means you weren't very good at doing what you did because the NCAA is not like the government. They can't like subpoena people yeah. and like for and like force them to to like testify and give evidence and shit like that. So if the NCAA is actually catching it, then you didn't do a very good job of doing it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So should we get started with this podcast, this crazy ass thing that we do call a podcast? I sure. think so, because uh, I don't know how long this is going to take. <laughs> I think well, we'd like to bring it in, you know, shorter than po uh, than longer. So, yeah. Should I have to drop uh, my elbow? Yeah. 
<laughs> short, short, shorter you, than long, shorter well, rather than longer. That's not what she said. Uh, what did you, what did, what did you say, Joe? I just said, should I brought my pillow with me? <laughs> well, hopefully no, not. No, you should not. You should not have a my pillow. I mean, I needed a pillow when I was watching the pay per views personally, but that's just me. So. <laughs> Uh, some yes, we're gonna talk about that, and, I, and some of it was pretty bad. But uh, tonight, our moderator for tonight, since he is our resident historian on, well, I like to consider him our resident historian on all things um, wrestling, is going to be Darth Pat. I will not be moderating this uh, or mediating this uh, conversation, uh, but I do want to start off before we get started with just a quick, quick public service announcement and as to say thank you to everybody that is tuning in and watching uh we do appreciate you guys every time stopping in seeing the podcast whether you're catching it on youtube you're catching it on uh itunes stitcher spotify or even now on um Amazon Music, because you can find it by uh, talking to your Alexa device, if you have an Alexa device. Uh, but if you are catching on YouTube, please make sure you're hitting that notification, getting setting up the dings so you uh, get notified every time. Subscribing to our station, as well as, you know, give this episode a like if you like it, or any of the other episodes that you've watched, give them a like, and drop us a comment. You can find us on Twitter at 4, the number 4, guys with a Z roundtable, as well as always, always, always stay tuned for the Mount Rushmore, which will be based on tonight's episode, which is the 96 Bash at the Beach and the 96 King of the Ring. All right, Darth Pat, take it away. Tell us what we're doing. All right. So what we're doing is in trying to come up with topics that are a little different for the show. We thought it'd be fun to look at some shows that, you know, we're kind of on at the same time. Now, my original idea for this was something that was rejected, but I intend to revisit it at some point in the future. So I'm not going to say what that was. I'm just going to keep you all in suspense. You just have to feel it. <laughs> But so anyway, we kind of realized that there were two pay-per-views that were run by the two rival companies, the World Wrestling Federation and World Championship Wrestling, that both featured very historical moments in the history of pro wrestling that happened just weeks apart. They did not happen the same night because those companies were never stupid enough to run pay-per-views against each other. That would have been interesting. Uh, well, though. okay, actually, mm -hmm. th th actually, wait, <laughs> they were, but that was a few years prior. Anyway. <laughs> So, so these pay-per-views did not occur at the same time. So, again, it was King of the Ring 1996, which was from WWF, and Bash at the Beach 1996, which was from WCW. So we're going to start with King of the Ring because that came first. So King of the Ring 1996 was the fourth King of the Ring pay-per-view event that WWF ran. They had started it as a fifth pay-per-view in 1993. Uh, mostly because the gap between WrestleMania and SummerSlam was too long. At least that was the way I always perceived it. You guys I think? agree. I agree with you on that. But, of mm -hmm. course, by 1996, they're also now running the monthly in-your-house pay-per-view, so every pay-per-view is feeling, you know, a little diminished here and there. But King of the Ring 1996, June 23rd, 1996, it aired from the Mecca in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, that's the Mecca. Yes. <laughs> Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Before a, uh, a listed attendance of 8,762, Vince, of course, uh, on the telecast said it was a sellout. Um, you know, you never really know for sure. The arena looked pre pretty full, so it did. I'll I'll go along with it. So, gonna just kind of start going into this. We're just gonna cover the matches in order as they aired. Uh, 
the funny thing is that the uh, <laughs> the pay-per-view begins with Owen Hart's music playing in the arena, which might have been surprising to people who would tuned in because Owen Hart was not on the card. Owen was doing commentary along with Vince and JR. Because Jerry Lawler was in a match that night, they figured they needed to have a heel announcer, so they brought Owen, who was not on the card, in to do some announcing. And as an announcer, let me just say, Owen was a wrestler. Yeah, but he you was, know what? He did he okay. Good. He, he, good. he, he was, I found he him was, entertaining. He was fine. He was fine. But he did. He, that he, well, you, just because of the fact that he's sitting next to Vince, so he's really not being produced in that sense, you can tell that he didn't really have somebody screaming in his ear. Because there's yeah. one part, there, there was two things that Owen did that I thought were kind of funny. One was that in the first match, he talked about how Mark Merrow had a lot of heart and a lot of resiliency because a lesser <laughs> man would have, would have uh, succumbed. And then Austin puts him in a Boston crab. And Owen starts calling him a gutless quitter when he, <laughs> which of course any wrestler does. So, you know, one minute, oh, he's got a great heart. Next minute, oh, look at that, he's a gutless quitter. And very uh, Bruce Quartz on that so quick he did. Yeah, and uh, he kind of, I, I, your mileage may vary if you want to call it a slip, but he referred to Vader as Big Van Vader a couple of times, which of yes, course was Vader's kind of original name, but Vader had stopped referring to himself as Big Van Vader even in WC, the second half of his WCW run, so mm-hmm. it was kind of funny that now he's in WWF and he called him Big he- Van Vader. Now, Owen wasn't terrible. There's definitely been worse guest commentators, but I just, you know... Yeah. He, he called he re- Sonny a hose bag. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he had he had he had a lot of comments that you know you could hear Lawler saying that don't really well like you know comments that he would make about Sable comments that he made about Jose Lothario, uh, yeah. you know I'm not going to repeat them but I think you could probably guess what they are in saying that here we are now 24 years later saying that he, they're comments he did he did say something on, on improper about Jose Lothario he 100% did. <laughs> Yeah, I think he said he should go back to um, where the hell did it? What, what he just kept calling him a Mexican in an story yeah. manner. He might have he might have added a couple other adjectives before the word Mexican. I'm not, I don't remember 100. Yeah, but then he doesn't tell us say he should go back to Mexico. He tells him he should go back to somewhere else. I forget what country he said, but it, it was a it, you know a, a Hispanic country, but it wasn't Mexico. You can said he was you Mexican can definitely like tell times. like the time. You can definitely yes. be like, well. If they were saying, if Owen said half the shit he said on there, this, now he'd probably get in trouble. So yeah, yeah, there'd be like so much social media backlash within. Well, yeah, as it, like in real time, like as he was saying it. So. He 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 did okay though. Like he did he yes. did, like you said, Pat. There's been way worse wrestlers who have been in the commentary booth that have struggled. Well, not not even just you know like necessarily wrestlers. Didn't they have like a football Hall of Famer Art Donovan? Do guest commentary, I think, at one of the King of the Rings, and he was so terrible that Monsoon and Savage, I think it was, who were calling the paper, you just basically started started ignoring him. <laughs> yeah, like he was. I, a, I think it was something like he was like asking constantly, "How much does this guy weigh?" <laughs> <laughs> like so, all right, so. but so anyway. So the pay per view itself it begins with the first King of the Rings semifinal match, which is. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Wild Man Mark Marrow with Sable. Uh, now, one other interesting note, um, this was the first year of the King of the Ring where they only did the semifinal right. and final matches. 
They didn't do the whole tournament. They didn't do the whole tournament. Well, not even like the whole tournament, because even with the first three tournaments, as I went back when I was doing some research, they had like qualifying matches. Right, but they didn't. They usually did three rounds. They usually did three rounds. They did did like the quarterfinals, semifinals, and final, all within the span of the pay-per-view, the first three King of the Rings. They didn't do that here in 96. So, um, you know, hey, it allowed for them to do more other matches, as we'll get to. So Austin against Marrow, um, it's kind of funny to hear Austin come to the ring without hearing the glass shattering without mm-hmm. hearing the familiar music corny yeah. ringmaster music it was without, corny without, without it was bad wearing, without him wearing the vest that's all kind of funny it's also of course very funny to hear owen talk positively about austin since we know <laughs> the rivalry of course that would be you know mm-hmm. pretty much all of 1997 um so the match was kind of back and forth. Mero would get the advantage a few times. Austin would constantly duck to the outside to break up the momentum, you know, typical heel move. Uh, Austin was using like slower, more methodical, like power moves to keep the advantage. You know, they even said to keep Mero grounded. Uh, at one point, Austin got busted open kind of the hard way in his mouth. He was very clearly bleeding from his mouth. I think they yes. would even say later he had to go get stitches yeah, uh, before coming back. Yeah. Um, but the finish of the match finally comes when Austin does kind of like a modified hot shot. He kind of like hangs Marrow up on the ropes by flipping him onto it. And then he hits the stunner just by hitting the stunner. It wasn't, you know, quite the stunner as we right, were. Right, right. Yeah. It was the early stages of the stunner. Yeah, it, it was it was it's still definitely the stunner, but it didn't it didn't have the same impact. It wasn't like bringing the crowd to its feet kind of move that which, of course, it would become. Well, yeah, uh, he didn't have the setup kick like yet. That right. was yeah. what was missing. Yep. Yeah, he because after he did the other move to Merrill, he pretty much just picked Merrill up and just, you know, down. Yeah. And that was it. So the match went a total of 16 minutes and 49 seconds. It was uh, decent. decent. It was a decent match. I liked decent, it. Decent length opening match. Yeah. I thought it was decent. Um, although I think that it was a little slow at times and maybe it could have been a little bit faster paced. I mean, because it wasn't like Austin was some, you know, like slow fat guy. Uh, right. So like his speed and everything, you know, but uh, at the same time, I think they were trying to work him as a heel a certain way. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So good old Dave Meltzer. I'm going to refer to this throughout the night just as a reference point. Meltzer gave the match yes. three and three quarter stars. I probably go a little bit lower, but not much lower. I thought it was a decent opener. Any other thoughts? I really I thought for an opening match at this time period. It was really top notch. Like if you look at the time period of matches and how pay-per-views went, I thought it was a top notch match. Now looking, watching it now, it, you know, it's it would be an average opening match. Yeah. <laughs> the ups and downs and the and like I, I talked to AJ about this the other day, and I don't know if I you guys, but I just it just some of the moves and the rest holds and. And then the there was a lot the, of rest holds in that match. There was like the, five, I think. The semi suplex <laughs> that I still don't understand what that was. Let's let's get him up and let's go back and be like, I don't feel like falling. Let's just I want let him go for it. He, just, he did just kind of toss him. He didn't completely fall backwards on the suplex. He kind of dropped him. It was like. I'm going to do a suplex, but I'm a little tired now. I don't feel like doing this. I'm just going to go backwards and fall. I'm I was watching like, for it when I was watching it. I was like, what is that? I was like, well, what am I? What? I haven't played it like five, six times. I was like, what the hell is he really doing? Like, is he meant to do that? I, I think he really meant to do that. Like, I don't feel like taking a suplex right now. 
I'm just going to, you know, pick him up and just toss him on his back and be done. And move Mero, on. Mero was a pretty good worker. So, yeah. like, mm-hmm. I think I think he was better in WCW because I think the Johnny yeah. B. Bad character worked better than the, the Mark Mero. He ended up getting overshadowed by Sable, and it's not his fault. Like, I yeah, think he was yeah. a pretty good worker, yeah. and I don't think he – I don't think WWE really ever used him the the right way. I, no, I thought they, he was underused. They, I I agree with you. I mean, when you go back and you look at his run as Johnny B. Bad, uh, I always thought he was pretty entertaining. You could say the gimmick was a little ridiculous, and maybe it was. But I've also heard stories that probably came from Bruce Pritchard um, that when they brought him in, I guess Vince thought they were getting Johnny B. Bad. <laughs> like they didn't realize that he did not own the character. Okay. So they uh, came up with, or like they didn't really know quite how to book him. And I think that kind of comes off as being pretty evident because that's the thing. He's got Sable with him here and he's using the music that really then became Sable's music, but he's not being overshadowed by Sable yet. You know, there, yeah. there, there, there's a few like Sable chants, but it wasn't the way Sable would become within, you know, like a year or so or everything. And yeah. I, you know, I, I really feel like, yeah, they kind of screwed up with, with Marrow. They could have used him a lot better. I think they even said this was his first loss since he had come over. To yeah, yes, they did. Um, so, I, yeah, I always feel like that there was probably more that they could have done with him than they did. Yeah. All right. So moving on, the next match was our second King of the Rings semifinal. Before that, we had a brief interview of Doc Hendricks. And I just want to make a quick comment about Doc Hendricks because, as we all know, it's 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 Michael Hayes. <laughs> yes. but Michael Hayes with short hair and with just the mustache without the beard. And he kind of like went back and forth between like if he was supposed to be like a heel or like a face at this event, at least he's a face. Um I just always feel like the, the whole thing of Doc work. Hendricks was 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 kind of ridiculous. It was like yeah, it was bad. why Vince wouldn't just let him be Michael Hayes is kind of a mystery to me. But okay. So anyway, so Doc is interviewing Jake the Snake Roberts, and Jake, of course, was doing the whole big comeback gimmick in '96, where he was also, you know, talking about you know his, how like you know turning to the Lord had helped him overcome Damn. his addictions. Mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean we all know that we all know the story. Yes. Um, he did some Bible talk in the yes. uh, promo, but there was still a certain co- uh, like uh, compellingness. I'm not sure if that's really a word um, yeah. to, to what he was saying. Like you could, you could still feel yourself getting drawn in because he still had the same cadence and rhythm, the way that he talked and everything. So you could still feel yourself buying a little, but the promo was very short. So, yeah. and then he goes out to wrestle Vader time. <laughs> Vader, of course, yeah. with Jim Cornette. Uh, this match went three minutes, 34 seconds. Uh, Thank God it only went three minutes and 34 seconds. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they talked about how Jake was still suffering from a rib injury from his, uh, I think it was his quarterfinal match with Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Uh, and so they just, it kind of goes back and forth. Not really much is happening. Owen's saying the only way Jake's going to win is if he gets Vader into a DDT. And sure enough, Vader's, he's able to get Vader into a DDT, but as soon as he hits it, and as soon as they hit the mat, the referee comes up and calls for the bell because somehow 
on his way down, Vader shoved the referee. So it's a bullshit DQ finish. It was bad. On a very short match, yeah. which was not going to be good under any circumstance because, like they've said, it's you know a 41-year-old Jake Roberts against Vader. Yeah. That's probably not a matchup that's going to produce good results for you. I mean, Jake, by his own admission, said he was so out of shape at this point. That's why he wore that ridiculous vest all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, to hide the when fact you get ballooned up and wait. When you watch the replay, it doesn't. I watch the replay and I'm like, it doesn't even look like Vader really did anything that bad. No, like it, it was it, bad. It, it, it was really <laughs> the kind of thing that you would refer to, I think, as like incidental contact. <laughs> I mean, the fact that it drew a DQ was kind of stupid. They could have found a better way to make that DQ happen than that. I felt like they could have used Cornet in some right. capacity to make that a more legitimate DQ than. Yeah. Hey. So. Oh, I hit your pinky. Sorry, ref. <laughs> yeah, so so, but of course, the whole reason for the DQ finishes is so that Vader could beat on Jake after the match, right? Further injuring his ribs, which would progress into the final. Then, uh, you know, and they did the whole thing again, where a ton of referees came out and tried to calm <laughs> Vader down. And after, you know, Cornette, of course, was first, you know, keeping the one, the, the, the match ref trapped in the corner as Vader continued to beat on Jake. Now, when like six refs are in the ring, Cornette's now trying to calm Vader down and make sure he doesn't attack a referee and get suspended again. <laughs> That's what earlier in the year when he attacked yeah. Gorilla Monsoon. He also pushed Jim Cornette, like he like threw Jim yeah. Cornette, didn't he? Yes, he did. And then after the match was over, this and this is kind of cool that they have this on the network. They had a couple of those old Coliseum video yes. exclusive. Yes. Oh, Cornette yeah. and Vader are back in the dressing room and Cornette's ranting and raving about how They're Vader in the bathroom. Was... They were actually in the bathroom. <laughs> and then Vader comes up and practically starts choking out Cornette. He's like, oh, you can't beat! Oh, you the ring! <laughs> and Nobody Cornette's beats Vader. Ter- and Cornette's looking terrified going, I know, I know! You're the king of the ring! You're the king of the ring! Meltzer gave this match a quarter of a star. I agree. That's about right. <laughs> I, I, I can't disagree much with that. Uh, yeah. yeah, one right. All right. There you go, buddy. Yeah, I think when Vader was supposed to de- get DQ'd, I think he missed his cue for yeah. the, the ref, whatever he was supposed to do to the like ref. Maybe I think it was supposed he missed to be something it. different, you think? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think I, it was, I, I thought about that too. That was bad. That. Let's let's yeah. just say that that was that match was not good, and the no. ending was even worse. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So our next match then is a tag team title match between the Godwins and the Smoking Guns. Now I like this match. The Red The, the right. story the story behind this match is basically that Sonny has basically. How do I put this delicately? Ah, uh, screw <laughs> delicateness. They were basically saying that Sonny was a whore for the tag team titles. <laughs> she was basically following along whoever had the tag belts. I still got the title, the, she says at the end of the match. Because she had been with the Body Donnas, and then like when they lost to the Godwins, they were doing this thing where she like was, you know, flirting with fin- Phineas, fl- flirting with Phineas, and then they showed the, and they showed like the match from when the Guns beat the Godwins for the titles. Whenever I don't remember if it was at the prior pay per view or whenever, uh, but like you know, Billy Gunn laid one on Sonny and. Um, you know, so Sonny then went with the guns <laughs> when they won the title. And it's like, was she just setting up Phineas all along? 
it, it wasn't really clear, and I don't remember because I wasn't watching at that time. So anyway, the Godwins actually got a pretty good pop when they came out. So I guess that proves they Vince's did. belief that hillbillies are just always popular. That's 80% of the fan base at that time. So Yeah, well, I mean, hey, they had Hillbilly Jim and his family back in you know the mid-80s there and everything. So this was like the second version. Obviously, Hillbilly Jim was managing the Godwins at this time. Yes. Uh, so as the Godwins are coming out, Hendrix is backstage with the guns and Sonny, but they're talking mostly about Cloudy. Awful. Who was Cla- the Cloudy is scary. manager and bought, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was obviously a guy in drag. He was apparently a friend of Chris Candido, but they were making it all about Pat's future lady friend. Uh, <laughs> no, they were making it all about tension between Sonny and Cloudy. And it's like, if Sonny had ditched the Bodwins because they were losers, why or uh, the body Donna's because they were losers. It's like, why should she even care? I don't know. The funny that was thing about weird. The, that was weird. The, the funny thing too about this promo is when they tried to, you know, turn it over to Billy Gunn to say a line, he totally messed it up. He said, <laughs> oh my god, it was so bad. <laughs> um, you know, one of our good mutual friends was always a big Billy Gunn fan, and I think we all kind of made fun of him for the fact that Billy Gunn's promo skills were minuscule at best. So, this was kind of proof of that. Actually, yeah, just, ne- neither of them, Bart or Billy, neither of them was, was no, stellar. I mean, well, obviously, <laughs> obviously, Bart Gunn, because, I mean, he never got to do anything really much after the guns broke up. So Yeah, I was uh, trying to figure out what Billy Gunn was trying to say when he was, I'm like, what? Is I what's the, I see, like, see what? you try you tried to figure it out. I'm just like, no, it's it's, it's Billy Gunn who gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um while the match is going on, uh they cut to a brief interview with <laughs> Oh my god, it was bad. That was <laughs> like blows a kiss to Vince and JR, to which Owen found hilarious. <laughs> creepy I mean, that's it, what it's, that it's, was it's, it's one thing to do like a like a picture-in-picture interview during like an episode of raw to doing it during a pay-per-view kind of tells you all you need to know about the match <laughs> uh, and i will say and I, and I will also say this about this match there was way too much denim involved <laughs> there the was a lot of wearing, denim the you, guns you are wearing like Canadian the tuxedos what's going on yeah, the, I mean, the guns are wearing jeans, the Godwins are wearing the overalls, and Hillbilly Jim's in denim from head to toe outside. So, uh, The guns mostly controlled the match. They were basically putting over the fact that they were really much more arrogant and that they were cheating. Like, you know, Billy Gunn did a cheap shot when Henry got whipped into the ropes. They were, like, very being nonchalant with the pins, which even Owen was criticizing them for. Uh, you know, there were a couple times where the Godwins got the advantage, but not very much. And then the finish came when... Bart hit Phineas in the head with a removed boot. I don't even know whose boot it was at that point. And then Billy got his own. Yeah. And then Billy got the pin. That was it. Match went 10 minutes, 10 seconds. Meltzer said a star and a quarter. Uh, To me, this match was just like, I understood why it was on the card, but I didn't find much to care about. So I'm going to be completely different to probably most of you guys. I actually really enjoyed this match. I thought overall it was an entertaining match because here's the thing. We've all watched a lot of big guy matches. And let's be honest, this was really a big guy match because the Godwins are big guys. But the thing about it is they were able to do stuff like it wasn't just like body slams and punches and stuff like that. There was other things in it that because Billy and Bart were still bigger guys, but they were more athletic, so they could do some things, and the Godwins could kind of help with that. 
So I actually found this match better than what Meltzer did just because uh, it wasn't your typical big, big man match. Like we're going to talk about some other matches. I liked, I liked the Godwins back then. I liked them. I never liked the smoking guns. I never liked them. I always thought Mm -hmm. they were kind of garbage personally. So I did like when they, when they, when they did the, when they were like in the corners and they threw the the Godwins and they dosy doed around and went back. like <laughs> yeah, I thought yeah, that yeah. part was cool. They don't ever do stuff like that anymore ever. And they used to do that stuff all the time in tag team matches where one guy had a guy in the corner and they don't do stuff like that. And so it was cool when they dosy doed around and then that that was my favorite part of the match actually. Yeah, I mean the Godwins were not bad workers by by any means, and the I just, guns weren't the guns weren't really either. It just felt like that this was too much about sunny. cloudy, right? Right, and, yeah. and, and, cloudy. and also yeah, the bringing, bring, bringing cloudy into it, who's not involved with the match in any way, shape, or form either. So it's yeah, it's it it, it, what, it, it, it felt like a raw match where they were more interested in talking about other things, and it's like that's fine yeah. for raw. But during a pay-per-view, it's like you really need to – if you're not selling something you know, that's like coming up later on the pay-per-view, please focus on the match because otherwise, why did I buy this pay-per-view? Every time – like obviously, this is years later. So every time I see Phineas, all I can think about is Streaker Midian. <laughs> <laughs> yep. so, yeah, yeah. I mean you could say, oh, well, Henry Godwin never really got to do anything afterward because he, he got hurt. and. And uh, couldn't really like you know maintain his career, and it's like, yeah, okay, but at least he didn't have to be naked Midian, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he did get to do the hog pen match with Triple H. Yes, mm, yummy. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I actually just that match was just featured on a countdown from What Culture, where they were talking about gimmick matches that only had <laughs> one good version of that match, and they they picked out I think it was the the Godwin Triple H uh, <laughs> hog pen match as one of the ten. So yeah. All right. Yeah. So, hmm? I'm sorry. I agree with that. Okay. Me too. All right. So after that match, uh, Doc is once again backstage, and he's probably wishing that you know he had a tag team partner. Where was Todd Pettengill? Wasn't he still with the company at this time? <laughs> uh, but Doc is. I backstage. felt like he was doing the in your house shit. Like Pettengill yeah. was always on the in your house shit. Okay. All right. So Doc is backstage interviewing the Bulldog, Diana Cornette, and Clarence Mason, who was of course <laughs> one of the most worthless characters yes. ever. I view. I. I never felt like he should have been there in any capacity. But anyway, uh, Cornette makes a Dick Murdoch reference and promising Michaels that his time as champion is up. But then uh, Vince spots Mr. Perfect in the locker room. And of course, Mr. (laughs) Perfect has been assigned as the referee for the Bulldog Michaels title match. And, you know, so they start going crazy and all that. And Bulldog makes a comment about, well, if he was in the other dressing room, his wallet would get stolen. Bulldog. Bulldog cuts, you know, and cut coats over the promo, promising that he'll join the triple header club, which meaning he'll become, you know, world champion and go along with his previous intercontinental and tag team title reigns. Um, I don't remember that that's what they called the triple header club, but I don't remember it that being called that ever either, but that could be yeah. drunk Davy boy Smith making up things. Well, Davy boy was also not a terrific promo by any means. I he mean, was I not. I highlighted that. He said this line, you are mine in less than a few short hours away. Yes, he did. That's clearly somebody who's trying to say two different things and just ends up combining them into one. The only reason that promo was even watchable is because Jim Cornette was in it. Like, I probably would have fast-forwarded through it if Jim Cornette wasn't in it. 
And that's really the case. You really can't fast forward through a Cornet promo because you just don't know what the right. hell he's going to say at any given moment. So, so true. And I, did, All right. I must say, I did like when Mr. Perfect said, well, yeah, I'm the perfect referee for the perfect match. Well, that was a little <laughs> Playing later, off the whole yes. Per- yes, but yeah. uh, yes, you're right. But no, I did perfect, like that, too. Yeah, perfect was always a great promo. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he's actually one of the underrated great promo guys. So it's like when people talk about who are the best promo guys, it's like he's never really quite he never really quite gets mentioned in like the upper echelon, but he was pretty damn close. So, yeah. yeah All yeah. right. So the so the next match. <laughs> the best part of this match is Lawler coming out to the ring. Yes, the Lawler was Lawler was priceless. I I was like, oh my god, when he I I the only thing I remember is at the end of it he goes up to the two girls and he's like, this is why things like gold dust happen. Yeah. Yeah. So again, so the match is Jerry the King Lawler against the <laughs> Ultimate Warrior, which had been set up by like Warrior. Uh, we had to do it with Warriors comic book and like Lawler had drawn and I guess Lawler really did draw this like portrait of the warrior and warrior like rejected it. So Lawler hit him over the head with it, which, you know, didn't knock any sense into him, of course. Um, but yeah, Lawler's entrance is great. He, he gets on the mic. He, uh, he goes up to the King of the ring podium where they've got like the crown and the scepter and the cape. And he implies that all of his stuff at his castle was better anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he totally goes for all the cheap. He insulting Milwaukee, insulting the Brewers, and then yeah, he just goes after a ton of audience members. Yeah, he said something. <laughs> he, he goes crazy. to he goes to one overweight woman and says like, "What are the strip clubs closed tonight?" Yeah, and like AJ, and like AJ said, he insulted a couple of others, saying, "This is what he, you know." He said would, something to a kid about his face throwing his neck throwing up oh, his yeah, face or face. something. Yeah, <laughs> he said to the woman it was something like, "You know, with women like this, this is how you get gold dust." <laughs> He so, was fabulous. That was the best. Joe's not lying. That was the best no. part of the match. So here's my th- yeah. only thing. Let me interject for just one quick second. My only thing is that it went a little too long because he should have shut up by the time he got to the ring. Like he's still going when he's in the yeah, ring. He was it's still like going on the ring. Like okay, well, you can they, stop now. They they probably had okay, we're gonna do 15 minutes for this match, and they knew the match wasn't gonna be 15 minutes. So they're yeah. like, Lawler, go out there and spend five minutes walking to the ring. No, because they didn't last four. <laughs> So, yeah. so Warrior comes out, and I got to admit, as many issues as I have with the person, Warrior Jim Helwig, Ultimate Warrior's entrance is still fucking fantastic. And, and his matter. gear, his gear that night was was cool. Like he had cool make, everything yeah. was cool. And it, and it doesn't matter what era it was, and the fact that this is now the mid '90s where they've got like the little pyro light thing set up in the in yes, the symbol. That's cool. You know, that's really cool. You're bank. right. They've got the symbol stuff projecting down from the ceiling into the ring. Yeah. It was it was still really cool. Yeah. I'll admit it. So Warrior's still doing his entrance, though, but Lawler does the Pearl Harbor job, as they used to say. <laughs> uh, st- starts choking at Warrior with Warrior's own ring jacket, then his own wrist tape. Basically, the match is, it goes like this. Lawler chokes Warrior with something for about two minutes. Lawler hits the pile driver. <laughs> War- Warrior pops right back up. Warrior hits three clotheslines, a flying tackle, and gets the pin. Yep. That's the even, match. He didn't even the gorilla time, press him. I was like, what the right. hell? <laughs> the time of the match was three minutes, 50 seconds. And yeah, like you said, Warrior doesn't do the, the, the press slam splash combo. Beats him after three clotheslines and one flying tackle. Oh. I would think that if I was Jerry Waller, 
Now, I could understand if Lawler like didn't want to take the the press slam splash combo because you've heard a lot of guys who didn't want to because of Warrior not being safe or they just didn't want to get splashed on their back or whatever. But for Lawler, and again, obviously Lawler wasn't a full-time wrestler at this point, but if, if I'm somebody with the reputation of Jerry Lawler, do I want to get pinned by the Ultimate Warrior after three clotheslines and a flying tackle? I don't know. So I, <laughs> this match was just a complete and total waste of time. Meltzer gave it a dud rating. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to is reference that, below, that again. Is that a below as far as zero? No, 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 no. No, see, that's the thing. I'm going to get to back to that when we get to a certain match at the Bash at the Beach. Okay. But I want to, I want to wait until then. I want to wait until then because this is something I try to look up to find the reasoning. But again, a dud rating, and yeah, I mean, come on, this was not a match. No. And no, it I, I, it's not like this is years later, so we're not spoiling anything. They did bring the warrior back because they knew they were going to use him at the end of the night. So like they wanted the warrior on this card because they wanted they. I knew he was coming out. Watching it the first time around, I knew he was going to come out at the end. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, this ended up being his last WWF pay-per-view match, uh, which we, we'll kind of we'll briefly mention later. But, yeah, the 1996 Warrior comeback was really, when you come right down to it, um, nothing to write home about. It was so, not. No. So, the next uh, segment, Hendrix is interviewing WWF President Gorilla Monsoon in the locker room where you see Jake being taped up in the back. Uh, Monsoon did one of his trademarks of him commentator, what he like, you know, made up a body part name or like intercostal <laughs> cartilage or something. Yes. Uh, I always love that Monsoon <laughs> trademark. Um, but he says he'll stop the match if he has to, but Hey, Jake wants to compete. So who is he to stop Jake from competing? Yeah. Pretty succinct to the point and just gives you a quick little update. So, all right. The next match on the card the Undertaker against Mankind. Now, this was actually the second time they had already wrestled on pay-per-view this year, which I kind of didn't remember because I didn't really watch WWF in 1996. Uh, Mankind's entrance was creepy uh, because he was still really doing like the deranged part. of Yeah, the his his music yeah. was creepy back then. Like he had yes, creepy the original, music. The original Mankind music was creepy. Um, now, the interesting thing is, of course, Undertaker's music hits and Paul Bearer starts walking down, but no Undertaker. Where's Undertaker? Then all of a sudden the lights come back on and Undertaker's perched up on the top turnbuckle and he hits Mankind with a clothesline and the match is on. So yeah. I thought that I thought that was neat because, you know, AJ in particular always likes to make fun of the length of Undertaker's, uh, you know, entrance and everything. And even here, the entrance, I think, still took about two minutes from like music <laughs> started to like when the lights came back on and everything. Well, they had to get him out from underneath the ring and onto the top rope in the dark, essentially. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> so it was just and it's just good that they did something a little different. I thought it no, was it was it was because. It, yeah, and especially was because like they like they showed they they showed like the casket match from Undertaker against Goldust from like the prior month where you know Mankind suddenly popped out of the casket so it was like Mankind's you know one upping him with like a surprise entrance so Undertaker has to get that back so it it made sense um, a lot of back and forth in this match a lot of just you know hard hitting moves a lot of stuff on the outside a lot of foley craziness with like the screeching that he did at the time and <laughs> yeah, pulling that, hair out. That was the one thing that annoyed me about the early mankind was the, like the pig squeals. It like sounded like a, a pig squealing. Like it used to drive me nuts. 
Well, again, there's something when we get to Bash to the Beach in terms of a screech that I'll say was much worse than what Foley was doing <laughs> oh, here. Oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, but anyway, um, the finish was somewhat awkward. Mankind takes the urn away from Paul Bearer, and he's getting ready to hit Taker with it, but Bearer kind of like walks up onto the steps, and like when Mankind rears back, Bearer snatches it away from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mankind tries to go after him, but then Taker starts attacking again, but then Bearer winds up ready to hit Mankind, but he kind of gets out of the way, and Taker gets hit with it. That allows Mankind to put the mandible claw back on Taker and get the pin, I guess you could say. I mean, it's it's really hard to tell whenever out. Mankind used the Mandible Claw if they were calling the match because it was a pin or because the other guy was knocked out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that was it. So that went 18 minutes and 21 seconds, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the interesting part was Owen speculating if Bearer was getting upset with The Undertaker <sighs> may have actually been siding with Mankind, <laughs> which, of course, we know would happen two months later at SummerSlam. Right. Bearer I knew it. I knew it when I was at SummerSlam. I was at that SummerSlam watching that Boiler Room Brawl, and I knew Bear was turning. Like, I 100% knew that was coming that night. And see, the thing of it is, is that you have to think that they already had that plan, like, written down. Wait, wait, oh yeah. At this King of the Ring pay-per-view. So with Owen saying that, I almost wonder if while he's saying that, Vince is sitting there next to him with staring daggers into his eyes. Like, saying, yeah, shut the fuck up. Away, you're, you're giving away the next part of the program, you <laughs> bastard. You know? This, uh, this well, match was, I really like this match, and I don't yes. really particularly like either of them. So this match was actually really good. So I've yes. finally I seen thought- a match. I finally seen a match that The Undertaker was in where the match was actually good because of him. Well, yeah, and this was early Undertaker still. You're right. So this was purple gloves, purple, you know, boot covers, and, you know, the eye makeup still. This was at the time time where they finally decided we need to give guys that Taker can actually work with that will put on good matches. Because from the moment he turns face back in 1992, his fuse were – Jake Roberts, Kamala, <laughs> Gi- Gi- Giant Gonzalez, Yoku- Yokozuna, and Ugh. the Yokozuna matches. You know, the Yokozuna matches weren't bad. No, um, the fake Undertaker, Yokozuna, Yokozuna again. Uh, then he went through like all the guys in like the Million Dollar Corporation, King, King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania, and Kama and IRS and a couple others. And then they finally said, okay, now you can work with Bret Hart in a title match, but then Diesel's going to screw you, so now you got to work with Diesel at WrestleMania. But then it's like, okay, we need to actually have guys that he can work with. So, anyway. Uh, Meltzer gave it three and a quarter stars. That feels about right to me. I might say three and a half. Um, because uh, I might even go I might even go four on that one. I really like yeah. that match, so. It, 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 was, it was intense, which it needed to be because of the way they had started the feud between them. And, of course, the thing was at the end that you knew it wasn't over because, you know, Mankind started chasing Bearer to the back and Taker was struggling after them. So you knew the feud wasn't over either. So yeah. it kind of it did leave you wanting more, too. So that was and the he, good thing about it. So here was my take on that match. Like, I actually really enjoyed this match, and I'm glad I got to see it again um, because Mankind, early Mankind, that what, he was real – he was never super athletic, but he could work. Like he wasn't, he wasn't so heavy. Like he was still pretty, 
they keep on saying he was like 300 pounds, but I'm like, he does he not look like he's... for his size, too. Yes, yeah, he definitely yeah. was. I didn't think he was 300 pounds. He looked more like maybe 275. I mean, that's not a huge difference, but still, 25 pounds does make a big difference when you're running around and, you know, wrestling. He's a, crazy, always, he's a crazy son of a bitch. That's what he is. It was always hard to tell with him because Foley's a little pear-shaped. Yes. You know, his body. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, 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 most of his weight is really, like, around, like, his midsection and his hips, you know, yeah. so... But uh, you could but tell yeah. when he got heavy, heavy, like yes. when yes. he stopped wrestling. Yeah. And so that's what always, that's what kind of threw me off when they were announcing. But I thought he the was, match still, never yeah. had a dead point in it where you could say, okay, do something. You know, there was I felt like there was always something happening within the match, and it yeah. wasn't anything super crazy. There was a couple crazy spots. But nothing that was over the top, like when they did their cage match and he got thrown off the freaking top of the cage, you know, and that was nuts. Well, see, that was just it. I was going to say, like, he still wasn't fully, fully beat. I mean, he'd already been beating himself up, obviously. But he wasn't, like, so broken down, you know, where he could, like, he was at, like, the I can barely walk stage, which we would see later in his career. Because he was still able to do the old Cactus Jack spot where he did, like, the diving elbow off the mat on the floor. Yes. Um, so he wasn't totally beat up yet, but again, overall, I thought it was a pretty solid match. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. So the next segment, Doc is backstage interviewing <laughs> Mr. Perfect. Oh. Doc gets in his face and says, you were in their dressing room. This has got to be collusion. And Perfect's like, you don't even know how to spell collusion. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I will not ask anybody to spell it here. <laughs> I can't. I take my shot, but I'm sure I'd screw it up. (laughs) No, that's why I said I'm not going to do it. But anyway, he just says, "Yeah, he'll be the perfect referee." And the funny, the the actual kind of interesting part to us is that Michaels walks in and insists that he'd better be the perfect referee. And I'm like, "Ooh, what's Michaels going to do to Mr. Perfect if Mr. Perfect doesn't call it down the middle?" So, next match, match number six, Goldust versus Ahmed Johnson for the Intercontinental Title. Now, this match is built around the fact that a couple of weeks prior on Raw, Ahmed had been knocked out during a match, and while they were <laughs> stretching him to the back, Goldust came and gave him CPR. Yeah, that was hilarious. Air, that I'm, was hilarious. And I'm using air quotes for those who w- were just Watching listening. that as it happened was was comedy to me. Like So, yeah. so again, this, this match is built around the fact that Ahmed flipped out after Goldust French kissed him. <laughs> Yay, homophobia! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, now, this match I thought had a good intensity at the beginning because Goldust is still in the ring and he hasn't even taken his robe and his wig off. But Ahmed doesn't even wait for the little doors at the entrance to open. He basically shoves them open, knocking down the two idiots who had to stand there open and close the things all night. <laughs> that, runs that was to the awesome. Ring, runs to that the ring, starts, <laughs> starts attacking. Sorry, yeah. And starts attacking Goldust before he can take off his robe and his wig. And, hey, again, if he is truly pissed off about what Goldust had done to him, I like that. I like that they're selling the story into the match. I thought that was a good touch. One thing I noticed about this as well, Ahmed wrestled with those huge hoop earrings. (laughs) That seems risky. Like, I could understand (laughs) a guy still... I could understand a guy still keeping, like, a stud in his ear... But, like, these huge hoops that could very easily get caught on something, the rope, the other guy's outfit, something, and you're getting yanked by your freaking ear? Uh, I wouldn't want to do that. So, Ahmed, yeah, like, Ahmed you, always – But, like, always, but like Ahmed, you know, said, yeah, Ahmed always did. 
Ahmed's Ahmed's shorts were always up his ass. Every fucking <laughs> yeah. time he wrestled, he had a fucking wedgie, and it's like, always, wear different pants, Ahmed, please. He always wore those thick ass thigh pads. You know, he hey, he had a distinctive look. He did. I think. <laughs> yes, he did. So he he. Did. I liked him, but he wasn't good. But I just liked him. I liked his music, and I liked his finisher. So I always, but I knew he sucks. But I just liked him. Yeah. So well, so, 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 so no, well, some notes I made about the match. There was one point where uh, uh, still really much at the beginning, uh, Goldust was, had retreated to the outside. He was still trying to take his jacket off and or his robe off. And Ahmed did a leap to the outside, and it looked like Goldust didn't catch him right, and it looked <laughs> like Ahmed hit his head. But he got right back up and it was it was on the attack. So maybe there's nothing in that head to hurt. <laughs> That's very possible. Uh, it reminded yeah, me so. of the leap that the Undertaker took <laughs> to get caught and yeah. died. <laughs> yeah. So the, anytime you see, well, and uh, the one uh, uh, one YouTube channel I watched where they're reliving the Monday Night War and they're in like January of '96. They were just covering a match where Benoit wrestled Savage, and there was one point where Benoit did a suicide dive to the outside, and Savage moved, and Benoit kind of ended up le- leaping over the mat, and he kind of hit the floor right in front of the guardrail, and there was this sick thud, and it's like, yeah, yeah you wonder why Benoit, and you wonder why Benoit went crazy years later, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. but. The guy even replayed it with the sound, which he normally doesn't replay the clips with the sound on that show. And it's like, it was like a don't. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so this wasn't that bad, yeah. but yeah. Um, at one point, Gold pretty gingerly like. So yeah, that like, was just. Yeah, that, that, that was really odd because I'm watching it. I'm like, isn't he supposed to go over the rate over the ring post out the thing? Not he like probably, go to the was. side. I, I, I chalked that up to his inexperience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then Goldust hits him with the steps on the outside. Not sure why there wasn't a DQ there. Maybe Marlena was distracting the referee at this point. And uh, by the way, I got to say Marlena, I always thought she was really hot. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, they even yeah. made mention about how Goldust was being more vicious the normal but this match had about four or five rest hold spots mm-hmm. oh, uh, of course. <laughs> there was also there was also one funny spot where Goldust hit Ahmed with a pile driver and you know you could see Ahmed's head not hitting the mat which of course was really the illusion they always tried to give you <laughs> and they were they, they uh, JR said that Ahmed twisted his body and that helped him uh Avoid taking the full effect of the pile driver. I'm like, well, that's an original. I don't think he got all of it, Jim. I don't think he got all of it. That's an original way to to, to cover for it, I guess. He twisted his ass, you know, switched it to the right, so it kind of uh, took some of the impact away. And and I'm going to assume. The problem was he he very obviously did not twist his body. Yes. And I'm going to assume that Vince probably reamed out that cameraman or whoever was in control of, like, camera, go to camera one, go to camera two was probably reamed out for not having a better angle to cover up the fact that that the well, head's not supposed to hit. <laughs> they were on they were on like the the steady cam, you know. So yeah. it's like that that was a fault of the direct in the truck, I would guess, yeah. Yeah. Uh Goldust did all of his typical theatrics, which of course were a big heat magnet at the time. He went for the CPR move again. <laughs> that was awesome. And that, and that basically caused Ahmed to hulk up. <laughs> Ahmed gets right up, hits one spine buster, hits the Pearl River plunge, and gets the pin and is the new Intercontinental Champion. Match went a total of 15 minutes, 34 seconds. Meltzer gave it two stars. 
I thought it was a little bit better than that. I mean, I've not seen a lot of Ahmed Johnson matches, but I felt this one was probably one of his better efforts. Maybe and, two and a half, maybe two and a half. And the crowd, I felt, was pretty much into it. They wanted to see the title change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was another one of those fun Coliseum video exclusives where Ahmed goes to the back and a bunch of faces are there celebrating, pouring champagne on The Bushwhackers! <laughs> yeah, the Bushwhackers were still there. And uh, and HBK, you know, walks up and gives him a hug and everything. So it's like, hmm, I wonder if this will mean something later. Yes. Intense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and also right and uh, right before that Coliseum video exclusive, there was a very weird ad for the next In Your House event, which was called International Incident. Some uh, guy gets abducted by aliens, and when he says he's got to yes. watch WWE, the aliens suddenly want to watch WWE. That's too. weird. That was weird. And then when they see Sonny, they're like, hmm, this specimen requires further examination. And all of a sudden, Sonny teleports into the house. <laughs> and the kid was like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who the fuck was on crack coming up yeah, with that one? That one was weird. I, I, I almost thought that was like a visual of one of uh, one of the warriors, uh, you know, promos. Yes. You know, maybe guy, so, you know, that, from spark, parts unknown. We were seeing parts unknown. Because I know he was there at the time. I'll, I'll blame that on Russo. Uh, but any other so, thoughts on uh, any cool. other thoughts on Ahmed and Goldust? So I have like I have notes for every match, but this one, um, I thought it was a decent match. Um, I did like the comeback, and I like how it got started because I like the fact I always enjoyed Goldust. I always thought it was creepy, but I always enjoyed it. Yeah, when he's like ru- like slowly slithering <laughs> up on Ahmed Johnson, like he's gonna try and hump him or something like that, and then he does the CPR thing. I thought that was awesome. It gave a real good reason for the comeback. Um, the one thing I take away from Ahmed Johnson, cause I didn't really see him a lot when he was active in the WWE. He is just a power move guy. Like everything is power moves like that, you know, except for the leap. That's not really a normal power guy move, but everything was power moves. So that was the one drawback for me because that made it look more like a normal big man match considering Dustin Rhodes, who is gold dust is so good in the ring, you know, that takes, so it takes away from that overall match for me. Yeah, I mean, he was better work from Ahmed. Would he, have been nicer. Ahmed's Ahmed was like, I like I said, I liked him, but he was like, I definitely have heard that he he wasn't safe. There were issues with him safe, right. and he wasn't he wasn't the most reliable person either. So yeah, that's that that's what I was gonna say is that you, you look at Ahmed Johnson there in 1995, 1996 when he first started and everything. You know, you can you can hear Vince go. Just look at him, <laughs> you know, um, and you could also see where you could definitely push that guy to the moon. And your hope, of course, is that he'll get better as he goes along. That did not happen with him. That's right. That's what didn't <laughs> happen. And the, there was like stuff like he, he was injury prone. He hurt other guys, too. Uh, and that he got a, it sounded like he got a big ego about yes, himself. He definitely like, did. I think, I think Jim Cornette's told one story where. They wanted to book him for some like NWA independent show in like the early 2000s or maybe even the late 90s. Uh, and he refused to show up because they would not drive him to the arena where they were holding the show. And the arena where they were holding the show, I think, was like a fucking high school gym in New Jersey because they would not drive him from the hotel to the school in a limo. He he no showed. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> So he uh, he he got a big he got a big 
ego. It's almost uh, like the ultimate warrior inadvertently rubbed off on him. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> the other thing I liked about this match was the commentary. Um, some of the spots in the commentary, like when Owen Hart, um, well, no, Jim Ross says, would you like to be fondled? You know, he's talking about being fondled by gold dust. And then <laughs> Owen Hart chimes in. He's like, well, have you ever been fondled? And I don't think you. <laughs> they also made reference to gold dust having done something to Owen, which I don't remember. But Owen's yeah. like, it was like insistent that they talked it over and they worked it out. And yes. All this other yes. Stuff. <laughs> but there was that tone of defensiveness in Owen's yes. voice. So. Yes. So um, yeah, I like, enjoyed that part of the match too. Yeah. It made for fun. Yeah, but but like you said, I mean, like Goldust was edgy, and when you're coming down to it, I mean, the Attitude Era didn't officially start. A lot of people want to put the like the start of the Attitude Era is like WrestleMania 14 when Austin beat Michaels for the title. But even at this point, there was a lot of like proto Attitude Era stuff. Goldust was, Austin was, you know, when Austin says, you know, Austin 316 says, "I just whipped your ass." Um, I mean, Jerry Lawler coming out and doing that shit with the crowd. Yep, that was like yep, attitude Lawler's era stuff. stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff with mankind. So mm-hmm. a lot of that was like really proto attitude, uh, the way that they were starting to use sexuality more with Sonny and that mm-hmm. they would with Marlene and Sable as well, but it was especially Sonny at this point. So there was a lot of proto proto attitude era stuff on this card. Yes. And that brings us into our next segment, which really continued the proto-attitude era when Brian Pillman comes <laughs> down to the ring to be Brian Pillman. Yep. yep. JR gets on the mic, and Pillman still perfecting that loose cannon character. <laughs> First asks JR how his extended family is, and then says he doesn't give a damn about his family. <laughs> He swears a couple of times. He refers to Jeffrey Dahmer saying he should have eaten the whole city. (laughs) (laughs) He just looks and sounds crazy with that wide-eyed look that he had, the way the hair kind of dangled in front of his face, the way almost kind of like Kurt Cobain. And then he promised that he would rape, pillage, and plunder the entire Federation. And it just starts laughing maniacally. I got to tell you, I loved the loose cannon Brian Pillman character. That promo uh, was fabulous. The fact, that, the fact that nobody knew what he was going to do. Um, you know, the unfortunate part, of course, this was after his car accident and his ankle had been fused, which completely changed the type of wrestler he was. And, you know, I think probably in a lot of ways probably contributed to his untimely death the following year. It's ruined, like I think just, it ruined I think it ruined him mentally. The car accident yeah. fucked him up in the head even more than he already kind of was. Yeah, I think. He, and I think he was just over self-medicating to get through the pain, which I'm sure was terrible so yeah uh there's just so they could have done so much with that character and when uh, when he glanced when him and austin glanced at each other yep. that was yep, that that's, was that that's what i was gonna say so then the next match is like pillman's like still finishing up austin's music hits so he comes back out for the king of the ring final against jake austin and pillman patched each other in the aisle and what i thought was great about it is pillman did like a throat slash motion at austin as if he was uh, encouraging him to kill jake and Austin just basically blew him off. Just, yeah. Just, just kind of looked at him right. and you know, it was like, Oh, whatever. Now, obviously they were not going to reference the Hollywood blondes on WWE. Yes. <laughs> um, but it also kind of planted some of the seeds for some of the stuff that would happen between Austin and Pillman later on that year. Right. So, and if you watched, I caught this <laughs> funny enough, I caught this, the, the guy that doesn't pay attention to the details. Um, yeah. 
Pillman smiles ever so slightly as he turns away. Like it's barely caught. But if you watch, he has like this slotted smile, like, like a shitty breaking, grin. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost breaking kayfabe because he's, you know, him and Austin are actually friends and stuff like that. And yeah. you know, we're teammates at one time. Well, considering, again, he was the loose cannon. Nobody knew where he was coming from at any given moment. You know, hey, you could pass that off as anything anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the match begins. Uh, as soon as Jake comes into the ring, Austin attacks him, starts just going after the ribs relentlessly. Beats him down, beats him down, beats him down. Monsoon comes down to the ring. It looks like he's going to stop the match. Jake refuses to let him stop the match. And as soon as Monsoon vacates the ring, Roberts actually gets a couple things of offense in. This infuriates Owen on commentary, thinking Monsoon <laughs> gave Jake an advantage. Yes, yes which is awesome. He, he, he goes for the DDT, but Austin blocks it, rams him into the corner, hits a few of those good old you know shoulder blocks into the corner. A move that you don't see anymore, which really no. should in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then Austin gets the stunner and the win. And then Steve Austin. <laughs> ascends the podium <laughs> talk to Doc Hendricks <laughs> and history is made <laughs> the magic begins now and that's the bottom line if, you haven't, Cold if so. you haven't seen this promo you have to see this promo it is in retrospect I mean I don't think anybody knew at the moment I don't think anybody knew for a few months afterwards but this ends up being one of the most significantly historic moments in all of wrestling history. And supposedly it was on the fly. Like he didn't script this. Like he didn't necessarily, you know, he didn't script the, the three sixteen part, like maybe in his head, he knew he was going to say something, but so according to everything I've read, this promo was on the fly. Yeah. So this is the kind of thing that I don't think he'd ever see happen in 2020 wrestling, but you know, he runs Jake down saying that, you know, he's washed up. He's over the hill. He's past his prime, you know, get that piece of crap out of my ring. <laughs> you know, he says, you thumped your Bible. It didn't get you that anywhere. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Talk, yeah, talk about your Psalms. Talk about your John 316. Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. And as soon as he says, says it, there's this, not overwhelming ovation, but there's but a, a pop. There's ovation a pop from the yes. crowd. So yeah, you get the sense that some people there were like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, as we all know, it took WWF quite some time before they really fully realized what they had here. Yes. Um, Steve Austin wins King of the Ring. Okay. The first three King of the Ring winners were Bret Hart, Owen Hart, and Mabel. Owen Hart and Mabel both kind of parlayed those King of the Ring wins into getting title shots at SummerSlam that same year. Do you remember who Steve Austin wrestled at SummerSlam 1996? He fought Yokozuna in a dark match. Exactly. I was there. Dark match. They still didn't even know how. Two months after making him King of the Ring, and he wasn't even on the SummerSlam card. So... Just so you guys know, in the dark match, Yokozuna tried to climb up on the ropes and he broke the top rope. So they had to finish the match like with the top rope. He tried to cl- climb up there to do the bonsai drop and he broke the top rope. Yeah, the only Yoko reason, was, the only reason I know the answer to that, Pat, is because I was at the pay-per-view, so I clearly saw the dark match. <laughs> he, he was just way too happy at that point. So uh, Now, 
quick little postscript before we move on to the main event match. Uh, everybody knows that Hunter Hearst Helmsley was scheduled to win the 1996 King of the Ring, but because of the curtain call incident at Madison Square Garden the prior month, he was punished and he was basically taken out of the King of the Ring spot. Now, he would go on to win the 97 King of the Ring, and I think in the long run, it all worked out for everybody. In I that, think it did. Especially yeah. the company. Yeah. Now you might say then, what did Hunter Hearst Helmsley do at King of the Ring 1996? Well, he wrestled a dark match. He beat Aldo Montoya in three minutes. He beat Justin Credible. <laughs> yeah. There was also a free-for-all match before the pay-per-view where the Body Don is with their new manager, Cloudy, beat the new rockers of Marty Jannetty and Leaf Cassidy, also known as Al Snow, <laughs> in eight minutes and six seconds. I don't know why they ever thought the new rockers would work. The, you know, Anytime they do, you try to do a the new something. It, it, like the new foundation with Owen and Jim Neidhart? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, and, or like uh, you'd get like the new Blackjacks later on or like the new Midnight Express, if you will. LOD 2000. Oh, yeah. Sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing, because uh, I know what match we're – I know the match we're going to, but I thought it was very interesting that – Owen Hart, I th- I'm pretty sure I heard him say it at least two times. He referred to Shawn Michaels in the click, like during well, the. Pr- yeah, I, I, during I was that. gonna, I was gonna get to that here yep. as we get moved on to the main event. Yes, I know, but I just I would thought that was very interesting considering, I'm sure Vince was not happy that he was probably saying the click, considering that was kind of a backstage type thing. Well, <laughs> yeah. yes and no, and <laughs> yeah, so just the, right. the the Jake. Stone Cold match was not very good. No, it was it, a crummy it, match. It, it, it wasn't much of a match. I mean, Meltzer gave it half a star. Deserving uh, of a half a star. Austin saved. I mean, it, it, Austin it was, saved everything about King of the Ring with this promo. He saved right. everything. The King of the Ring was kind of a train wreck, in my opinion. The actual tournament, but Austin saved everything when he won and cut that promo. Yeah, it was the match ended yeah. up officially going four minutes twenty eight seconds. So I mean, again, it was not much of a match. There was not much doubt. I don't think ever as to who was going to right. win. And unfortunately, if you don't have much doubt about who's going to win, it takes away. But again, the promo saves it. So, all right. So moving on to the main event, <clears throat> we got the, <clears throat> excuse me, the WWF <laughs> title match between Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog. Shawn Michaels comes down with Jose Lothario. British Bulldog's got both his wife, Diana, Owen's sister, and Jim Cornette with him. Not Clarence Mason though. That's fine though. Uh, now, this match was like basically a rematch from Beware of Dog, where there was a controversial finish where two referees counted down counted down both guys' shoulders. So yep. that's why Beware of Dog, the infamous in your house with the power outage. Yep, very much so. <laughs> uh, so Mr. Perfect uh, comes out as a special referee. They replay the ending of that previous Michaels Bulldog match. Uh, Bulldog comes down. He's still using the old Rue Britannia music. And I got to be honest, I always found it interesting that they never came up with new music for Bulldog to use when he turned heel. It seemed to me like he probably should have stopped using like the, uh, you know, the, the Rue Britannia music at that point, but agreed. I don't know. It was also kind of the way they still were using the old, you know, the rocket Owen Hart music for (laughs) Owen throughout all of these years. And they didn't give him new music until I think like, uh, 98 when he was like the black heart and everything so yeah i always found that kind of interesting all right so then michaels comes down and yes vince mcmahon starts talking about the click 
Now, the click became the de facto name for Michael's fan base the way that you would use the term Hulkamaniacs yeah. or the Warriors yeah. or – well, those are really the only two I can think of. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I will freely admit, though, I kind of hated the whole click thing. I really thought it was very, very stupid because we knew it was a backstage thing. I don't know why Vince was – okay with them using that in such a public way i really kind of felt like michaels i think had a certain sway over Vince at various times and i think this was one of those times they also able to convince Vince to let him do what he wanted they also uh, started i felt like they started calling his fan base the click before the that other thing happened, the, the Madison Square Garden thing, though. So at that point, you can't really change what you're doing. Like, if, if they had I, been doing it at a different time, but they were already calling them that before the Madison Square Garden, so it's really hard to change what you're calling his fans all of a sudden then. Oh, no, I think they were definitely doing it from pretty much the moment he turned face in 95. But I also remember when he came out for the Royal Rumble 95, when he's still a heel, he came out at number one. He holds up like his fist, you know, to the uh, to the camera and it's got TK written on the tape, the click. Um, So I just always think that he was just always kind of looking to kind of push the envelope to where he wanted it to go to do what he wanted to do, because that's just the way he was then. So. All right, but this match is pretty long. Um, they also changed Mr. Perfect's role, too. Yes, they, yes. Monsoon comes down and relegates Mr. Perfect to being an outside referee only. Because of what he did at WrestleMania when he was yes, a special J- guest referee J- for Luger. JR mentions his WrestleMania 10 referee performance where he did a he did a shit. Well, you know, see, the thing was. He technically did the right thing in that match, but it was because, you know, it ended up favoring the heel that everybody <laughs> hated. Um, yeah, but, you know, Luger put his hands on him, and you're not supposed to put your hands on an official. I liked I liked that JR, that they referenced that, though. I think it's important yeah. that they referenced, hey, this is why he's getting removed to this other position, because if JR right. hadn't said that, if you're not watching all the time, you don't know what's going on then. So right. I think it, it's cool it, it, that they referenced and it, and it had to be more than just, oh, he was in Bulldog's locker room. You know, <laughs> they had to also give, like, another re- legitimate reason. Now, of course, they also had to dance around the fact that they've got one of the guys in the match that they were referring to is now in the other company. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so this one, again, had a lot of good back and forth, both men gaining and losing the advantage at several times. There was actually a spot where Bulldog was using the ropes for leverage when he had Michaels in a submission hold and Perfect actually knocked his hand off the rope and Cornette starts yelling at him, but Perfect's like, what do you want me to do, you know? Um, The crowd chanted USA at various points in this match. Just... Oh, God. And they did. They did warn. I felt like they this sometime during this match. They're like, "You're just a commentator. You're not allowed to get involved tonight." Like they were. They said that yeah, to Owen yes. during this match. Like they were suspecting. They were suspecting Owen. Was gonna get <laughs> he's like, you know, he doesn't need your help. He's got. He's got Diana and Cornette on the outside, and Mister Perfect's there too, and we can't trust him. And, you know. Everybody, uh, I think, if, if you were watching that at that point, even like me, was I knew he was he was going to get involved. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, it was it ended up being a really really good match. Again, a lot of yes. back and forth. There was a lot of suspenseful spots. 
there were a couple spots where you could go, oh shit, Davy Boy's actually going to win. Um, yeah. The angry work for that storytelling. Yeah. Part for that. Right. Right. And it ends up that Mr. Perfect really doesn't play much of a part in it. Um, there's one point where he gets up on the ropes where it looks like he's ready to call for Michael submitting, but that doesn't happen. And then it's like, for whatever reason, he gets in the ring to count the pin along with Hebner and Owen pulls him out. <laughs> I was confused by that. I was yeah. like, what? So, so, so the ending, the ending of the match had a little bit too much going on for it. There was like no need for perfect to jump into the ring to count the pin. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what it was, but again, Michaels gets the pin clean. Uh, match ends up going 26 minutes and 25 seconds. So they gave him a lot of time. Um, yeah, and then, of course, all the shenanigans after the match. Owen jumps in. Owen and the Bulldogs start beating Michaels down. Then Ahmed Johnson runs in to try to even the score. And then Vader runs in. So Camp Cornette is complete. And then the Ultimate Warrior wearing the ring jacket again for some reason. <laughs> of course. Did he ever so, take it off from the match? <laughs> yes, he did. So, so they like they set up for me at the time. They set up this really cool. I was excited because I like Michaels. I like the Warrior and I like Ahmed. So I'm excited because I'm like, oh, and then Warrior is a douche. And they end up having to replace him with Sid at the next pay-per-view because Warrior's a douche again. And right. I was like, oh, my God, I get to see the three guys I really like the most in a six-man tag on a team together. Right. So that, that was that was the whole thing was that they, at this point, I think, as a, as a way to try to basically sell people to uh, – excuse me, to, um, to to buy like the In Your House pay-per-view, they would basically try to set up the main event right. for the In Your House at the end of, you know, like the... the they did that a lot at this time. Yes, they were doing right. that every pay-per-view. That's good and so they had like another one of those Coliseum video exclusives where they yeah. said, oh yes, we've just confirmed it's going to be Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, and the Ultimate Warrior against Camp Cornette in the main event of International Incident. And then they went backstage with another promo with Camp Cornette and Cornette and... Uh, uh, Owens, you can tell this was taped later because Owen is now wearing jeans. There, uh, there was there yeah, was a there was a part there was a part during the during the match where Shawn Michaels hits Jim Cornette in the ass with a tennis racket. Right? That was that was entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so, that yeah. was fucking comedy. Yeah. So 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 they do a typical promo, which was just basically to you know again sell the the next pay per view and everything. Um, Meltzer gave the match four and a quarter stars. Um, yeah, it was a yeah, good match. That was the best yeah. match at that pay-per-view. Yes. I have by, it as uh, a classic I, match. I mean, I don't want to say by far, but cl- it clearly was the best. I match. mean, it was that that match and the Undertaker-Mankind matches. You were right. You said those were the two best matches there. I think that those were the two best matches there. Yeah, the way I always looked at this mm-hmm. card was uh, you had two really good matches, those two. Two okay matches, the Austin Marrow and Goldust Ahmed matches, and then the rest was the... And a bunch of really good uh, b- between Pillman, Austin, and Jerry Lawler. You had three pretty had good. Great mic work, you yeah. had some really great mic work at this one. Yeah. yeah. So, so any other thoughts on the main event? I think Bulldog, because I always picture Bulldog as kind of a you know power move guy, which he did do power moves, but I, but yeah. I think he kind of held his own because I think with working with Michaels, he had to work a little bit differently. And I think he held his own, which made that match so much better because if he would have just yeah. did power moves and it just would have been power moves against the finesse guy, it would have looked really stupid as far as an overall match. Bulldog was Bulldog was not always sober, but he was really good. 
with Michaels and Bret Hart and any of those guys. He usually yeah. let those guys, they would put him in programs with guys like Michaels and Bret and guys who were good ring generals because Bulldog was fine as long as somebody was carrying him. He wasn't the guy that was to be the ring general, though. A disaster usually happened when Bulldog was that guy in a match. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, like, like Brett, like everybody talks about the, uh, the SummerSlam 92 match and, you know, Brett has said that like, as soon as they, like the Bulldog kind of ignored him from like most of the summer when Brett wanted to plan stuff out. So they went over it all like the night before and then they get in the ring the next night and like two minutes in Bulldog's house whispers to him, like, I've forgotten everything. So, <laughs> And they still put on a class. They still put on right. an absolute classic. Well, that's a, that's that's a that that says something about Bret Hart too. There, that yeah. match. Would you so, Would you guys rate the whole pay per view? Um, uh, well, not to C steal minus. somebody. Well, yeah, I don't want to steal somebody else's gimmick. So, um, I I would say C C plus somewhere in there. I give it a C minus. Like um. To a C. You know, a lot of people, I think, want to think of 1995, 1996 WWF as being like the company's like low point in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was and you can see why in a lot of ways. But at the same time, I would say, you know, this this uh, this show was not terrible. I give it a B minus two really good matches and the mic work. I'll, I give it a B minus. OK, cool. All right. So there was I, I remembered something too, guys. I remembered something from an earlier match. You know, I didn't write notes down. I should have in the in the match with the smoking guns and the Godwins. There's a spot where Billy Gunn gets like he goes to do a stinger splash and he hits his head like past the turnbuckle and he sells the shit out of it. Like he lands and <laughs> yeah. flops like backwards. I were, I wanted to say something because I when I was watching, I was like, holy shit, he's oversold the shit out of that. Yes. Yeah, no, he definitely did. Billy, Billy Gunn's always been a pretty decent seller. I, it was I almost like a re- reverse flare flop. He almost did like a reverse flare flop. All right, so I have All a right. stumper question I want to ask, but before we do that, Jeremy, do you have a public service announcement for us? Yes, I do. I do have a public service announcement. We just want to thank all our listeners out there. Doesn't matter where you're catching us. We do appreciate you tuning in. And if uh, to if the if our UK listeners are listening, we appreciate you keep it coming back. We do appreciate that to have people in other countries hearing us. So that's pretty cool. Um, if you are catching us on YouTube, though, make sure you are hitting the like. Uh, hitting your subscribe button and also turning on those notifications so you never miss an episode. Um, if you're catching us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, thank you for listening in there. Um, and catch us on Twitter, and that is at the number four guys with a Z roundtable. Uh, you can catch some of our interactions that we do. And always, always, always stay tuned to the end of the show, which will be coming up after we talk about Bash at the Beach to tune into the Mount Rushmore of today's theme. And it's going to be our favorite match from both from either Bash at the Beach or um, King of the Ring 96. All right. So my stumper question has to do with the King of the Ring itself. Now, Uh King of the Ring ran as a pay-per-view from 1993 to 2002. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at just that period. So all the the King of the Ring house show events they did prior to 1993 and all the King of the Ring events they've done on television after 2002 are not included in this. Okay. So from 1993 to 2002, including TV qualifying matches, a total of 95 different 
wrestlers competed for King of the Ring. Okay. Who competed in the most? Tur- like King of the Ring tournaments or matches? Tournaments. Okay. Oh, uh, man. What time frame is this again? 1993 to 2002. So you gotta. So only think about guys who were in the company those years. Hmm. And I'll also give. I'll also give you this hint. Hmm. The answer was not on the King of the Ring '96 card in any way. So I have not mentioned his name once. I would have to say, I'm gonna say Bret Hart. I think Bret Hart actually might have competed in the most. Okay. Because I know he was there in the 2000s. He left pretty late to go to WCW. I'm going to say Bret Hart. This is so intense. These guys think so much about this. <laughs> <laughs> so you said it's somebody we have not talked about yet. We have not talked about him at all. Okay. Like his name has literally not been mentioned. Okay. Well, then I've guessed wrong. Because we did say Bret Hart at one point in time. Did we? I don't remember. Not I as mean, part I of the card, just in I general. I mean, no, we said Bret Hart's name. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I can tell you that I can tell you, Jeremy, unfortunately, that Bret Hart is wrong. He only <laughs> competed in one King of the Ring, the first. <laughs> wow, the first one, I, which, which he won. Yeah, man, I would have so. thought he would have competed. I could have swore he competed in more, but yeah, well, yeah, well. He competed in a bunch of the ones again that they did as like house show events in the 80s and early 90s, and I think he even won one of those too. But yeah, when it was a pay per view, he was only in the King of the Ring tournament the one time. Okay, so I'm don't go with Bret Hart, guys. Yeah, I'm a good, good guess because he was definitely a key player in those years. There's just so many guys to pick from. It's like, uh, who could it be? Yeah, like I guess. Yeah, I mean, I did say 95 <laughs> people. So. <laughs> uh, All right. I'll also give the, you this. Hint. I'll also give you huge, this. Hint. A huge gap too. He did not win the King of the Ring ever. Okay. Because I, I knew what my second guess was going to be, but then when you said that, I was like, nope, that's not him then either. Who was your second guess? Triple H. Uh, Triple H competed. Because he won it the in, next year. He competed in three different King of the Rings, including winning in 97. Yeah. yeah. It, was not, so. it was not him. Yeah, I don't know. I would, that's crazy. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Rikishi. I, I don't really know the answer to this. I'm gonna say Rikishi. Okay. Joe, you got a guess? I was gonna say Angle, but then you said, but then I was like, I don't know if that would work. But then you said he never won, so I can't pick Angle. Uh, yeah, Kurt Angle only ever competed in two. The one he won, and then the one where he lost in the finals to Edge. So. And Rikishi is not the answer either. Rikishi only ever competed in one, which I believe is when he lost to Angle in the finals. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Oh, I'm going to say Xbox. I fucking know. <laughs> well, Joe, I got to give you credit. X-Pac is second on the list. Oh, wow. <laughs> the one, two, the one, two, three kids slash X-Pac competed in five different King of the Ring tournaments. Wow. But the all-time leader in King of the Ring tournament appearances with seven. 
Thurman Plugs slash Damn it. Bob Holly slash he was, Holly. he was my other he was my other guest too. Damn it. <laughs> he competed in seven different tournaments Shit. using any one of those three names depending upon what year it Damn was. Damn it. And you he know was, what? He, he goes, was my other guest. You know what? If you want to put a label on somebody, Bob Holly could almost be called the ultimate jobber because yes. he really never amounted to anything, but he was always a good enough worker to be in matches with that's good good name people. that's a good uh that's a good question pat damn like i said that was my that was my second answer damn it yep. <laughs> i just remember xbox being in several of them and he went to the finals and lost and yeah he, he lost in the I, I think he lost in the final to billy gunn in 1999 uh yeah yeah, yeah that's right. actually yep. you know what? i just, when i was coming up with this stumper question the other day i actually put like copied like the tournament brackets. Let me check that. Yes, he lost in the tournament final to Billy Gunn in '99. So, yeah. good one, good one, Pat. We all had guesses at least. So, so are we gonna all talk right. about Bash at the Beach good now? Work. Is it time? Yeah, for Bash at the Beach? yeah. All so. Right.